Morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz. It's This Week in XR. Today is July 15th, 2022. Uh, let's take care of a little housekeeping before we get into the news. We have a new sponsor, uh, Zapper. Uh, let me um, say that uh, they are the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. If you've got an AR project in mind, they're the team to deliver it with over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio, that's their agency, their award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, where you can make your own AR, uh, and Zapbox, the most affordable mixed reality headset. We've talked about this in the past. We've used uh, they've it they've got your XR strategy covered. Um, start creating at Zapworks or contact them directly at zapper.com. Uh, and, and of course, let us thank our friends at Verbella. Our guest today is Jason Wark. He is Accenture's Senior Managing Director for Global IT and Digital Experiences. He'll be speaking with us about how Accenture is leaning into VR for training and collaboration. It's a very popular topic, Johnny, the uh, training collaboration. I spent uh, all of 2020 talking about it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so it's good to see you this morning. Absolutely. You too. Um, Lots of interesting news this week. I don't know whether yeah. I'd call it all big news, but interesting news. Um, you know, to go from the sublime to the terrifying, let's let's start with the topic you wanted to burn up in the green room, uh, which is a, an announcement in Bloomberg of the by Bloomberg of the name of Meta's right. new high-end headset. We now have we now have a name for the the higher-end headset uh, that comes from the people that make the Quest and the obvious name of, they're going to call it the Quest Pro, uh, which, okay, that's fine, you know, uh, logical, I guess, and obvious. And they have a, an expected price point of around $1,000. Um, also, also well-publicized at this point. Mm -hmm. So uh, did what you, do you think of that, Charlie? What do you, what do you think of that price point for, for the device? You think that- I, I think it's market? expected. It's, you know, consistent with, with other high-end uh, mm -hmm. VR, I, it, you know, it's how much better than the Quest is it, I think is the fundamental question here, right? Because the most likely complaint is I spent a thousand dollars for something that's basically the same as what I've already got. Right. Um, so it, it's going to have to do some tricks uh, to justify well, it. But I think they've, they've got a lot of those with eye tracking and other things. Eye tracking and the color, the high fidelity color. Yeah, and the external cameras is a big deal, I think. So uh, probably people will be fine, right? I mean, who's going to buy that thing? It's going to be you and me, not your casual XR user, who is most of the people who bought the $300 headset, my right. students, for example. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, with every market, there is always a, a, a kind of a luxury category for that market. So yes, there'll be people in the industry like us. Yeah, I mean, some people, some people like the special wristbands you get with your. Yeah, and they'll and and it'll make sense to them. Like they're yeah. not price sensitive. There's there's a whole category of people that are not price sensitive customers yeah. that are performance sensitive customers and want the highest end device. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like people that buy high end sports cars and buy high end anything else, right? Just, I mean, I, I think if it's if it's noticeably better, they'll they'll sell millions of. Them. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think it's going to do well. So, do you read Scott Galloway's column? Sometimes, not uh, not consistently, but off and on. You were mentioning something that. Well, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a member of the FCC a couple of weeks ago, one you know one of their board, uh, who was writing letters to the Biden administration about yeah. the danger of TikTok. And I mean, we've talked a lot about the danger of social media, and in particular, Meta's behavior, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, we see that behavior and we right. understand what that company did for largely com- uh, commercial purposes, as well as how easily that system was manipulated by bad actors. Yeah. And, but now we've got a non-transparent situation where TikTok is this huge, wonderful service, in my opinion, and it could be totally influencing us as Americans, um, you know, turning us against each other, showing us uh, things that influence us in invisible ways. This is not just news headlines, right? These are invisible things. So you would show more military stuff to a a military leaning person, you know, even if the stuff was fun. So what do you think? Is that legitimate? Should we be worried about this? And what the hell could anybody do? Well, you know, you make an interesting point that the, the trials and tribulations of the artists formerly known as Facebook um, are well-documented and fairly well-known because, because of their, their, the fact that they're an American company and they have a level of transparency. So even with some of the ethical challenges, there's a level of transparency in what they do, right? TikTok uh, doesn't have that level of transparency um, and they are delivering on something that has massive media power now. Um, without much sort of recourse for how do we put any kind of checks and balances in it, which I think is what Scott is, is referring to, right? I think we have to, I think we have to go in the direction of, of the EU and give up some convenience in order to enjoy more security for the services that we like. Mm. So I, I think it's going to mean very powerful private companies are going to have to give up some control uh, that they have really enjoyed. But I, I don't think we can live in a world where AI is running amok doing things to us that we don't understand. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting big topic, right, of, of what yeah. technology is doing, layers of technology applied to people's, you know, like companies' yeah. use cases that are finding massive profits and massive viewership uh, and, you know, can create potentially fairly dangerous influence dynamics. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I think I, yeah, the, 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 I'm terrified because I was deeply disturbed by what happened with Facebook. Well, what has happened, you know, not just, you know, what they have caused, but, you know, the ability for bad actors to game that system. Yeah, and I think maybe part of it got caught up in, you know, the previous administration's, like, approach to it, which was trouble. Well, right, because it wasn't like, I want to make you safer. It was like... Um, uh, I want to figure out how to leverage this to make myself or my friends richer. Correct. So, but now you have the, the current administration, which seems to have a, a better ethical code against it. So maybe we'll get something valuable in terms of... Or, or it may be that the EU really takes the lead and anything we do really just mirrors what they do. So listen, let's go to something more fun. Bravo okay. Ready One. Uh, this is an infinite Royale NFT game. They just raised $3 million to yeah. expand it. So, so it exists for you gamers out there. And I checked it out for, uh, I gave it a cursory look and it's the real deal. Um, you pay a dollar and you spawn into a battle Royale where you earn Solana for kill each kill that you get. Right. So and, you know, <laughs> as much as we are reticent to use the term, although we used it, of course, with Matthew when we talked about his book, The Metaverse, um, this is a metaverse application that is tied to the blockchain and tied to, you know, the the, the crypto earning world and the NFT world. And uh, well, it has an economy, right? World. It's a game metaverse. Right, right, right. And this is one of many now, right, yeah. that are starting yeah. to spring up. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, the company leading, or I should say the venture capital coming into this, a lot of it is uh, Animoca Brands, which yeah. we talked about last week, that was involved in two big fundings for these kinds of Web3 
uh, let me call them, um, in a way, they're kind of like Second Life, right? They're browser-based. Mm -hmm. uh, they're more flexible than Second Life, which, you know, not being mobile, you know, is one of the reasons that their growth stalled in the 2000s. Um, but, but these sites aren't like that. Uh, and Animoca has got, you know, money in Star Citizen, right? Atlas Worlds, uh, Dapper Labs, OpenSea, Axie, Infinity. I mean, this is like the hit parade of these Web3 gaming companies. Yeah, I mean, Animoca has, has really sort of set themselves up as the most leaned-in company in this category, in this sector, right? So if you, if you view it through an investor lens and you believe in the thesis, they're a good investment because they, you know, just like Tencent, a generation before them, leaned into a certain style of gaming and user culture and profited greatly from it, right? Um, will this be uh, the, the profit dynamic uh, that, every, that, that a lot of people believe? Maybe, maybe not. I, I learned an interesting term. I'm curious if, if this come past your radar called rugging a few, uh, a few uh, weeks ago. No, you know, no, tell me about rugging. So rugging effectively is when you pull the rug out from somebody, right? <laughs> and a lot of these NFT gaming dynamics are built on kind of a house of cards, right? And they all have the aspirations of becoming real. But yeah, I mean, I think that, that the community, they're underestimating the difficulty of community management. Yeah. Uh, just getting back to Bravo Ready One. Yeah. I mean, the what could go wrong in a pay to kill game like that is really, uh, you yeah. know, huge, huge. I, I think you've because just how, do you keep, how do you keep people just from praying on weaker players mm -hmm. and, and, and making money on it. Right? And then and then the weaker players go away because that's no fun. And you lose and you lose your social sense and you lose your economy and the whole yeah. thing gets yeah. rugged. Yeah. So so, so it, yeah, it's um so anyway, let's bop over to Magic Leap 2. Uh, oh, okay. Finally sure. released. Yes, you and I have both worn it and uh, I think are dutifully impressed by it, right? Yeah, well, it's a huge, huge improvement it. over the Magic Leap one, yes, exactly. uh, partly because it doesn't need to do as much. And, I, you know, our friend Rody, a, a multi-time guest on our show, I think deserves massive credit um, for the journey that he has been on in, with all the, the changes in the day. I know. Well, you know, poor Rony knew all about Magic Leap 2 while he had to sell Magic Leap 1. Right. And I, mean, I just, think that whether he admits it or not, that was hard because he's a big believer in this product and not as much in the first one. It's a super hard category to build. And, and he deserves massive amounts yeah. of credit for the fortitude to stick with it through all the ups, downs, and sideways of it. And, you know, in the end, in the end equation, they will be an important part of the history of, of mixed reality. Oh, for now, sure will they the get to the other side? Still unknown, but the new- For sure the history. Well, these are expensive headsets, but they're not, they're, you know, they're priced competitively with the HoloLens. Yes. I mean, and it is definitely designed for an enterprise level customer and a non-price sensitive customer that believes in the future of mixed reality entertainment in some way, shape, or form, and will buy this today for a knowledge point that it will move, you know, downstream in price uh, at some point and become consumer. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on to my other headline, something okay. I am genuinely excited about. Okay. Uh, the documentary film, oh, uh, yeah. We Met in VR, is uh, coming to HBO. It was a hit at Sundance. Um, you know, they used a high-end PC and they were filming people with high-end PCs and body trackers, but, you know, all of that technology is becoming more widely available. And in fact, with the external facing cameras that we've been talking about and a little dash of AI, you can soon get that kind of 
uh, body tracking on the quest. And, you know, these are a group of people for different reasons um, who live in VR. Uh, You know, most of them uh, started for fun and then found friends and practical things to do. And so we really get a look inside of people who spend hours and hours a day in a very different kind of VR than you experience when you're on the quest. Right. And the thing or in horizons. The thing that's exciting for me and a lot of the people that I work with that are in the quote unquote traditional media world is it's migrating from you know the fringes of festival demonstration into mainstream media, right? It's going to show up on a streaming service on HBO Max and have an audience that'll be very different than an than a, a, a sort of VR native or VR aware person. It's just another piece of content that you can check out on regular old television that was created inside a VR platform. So that's so there's a fellow named Bernhard Drax. I don't, we should get him, this guy on the show. He's, guess, a real, right? yeah. he's a real character, Draxter, um, well-known character in Second Life uh, and was um, also working with Sansar, if you remember that thing yeah, that sure. uh, Second Life, uh, Linden Lab had tried to launch a VR social VR site that didn't catch on the way it needed to because PC VR was just not too early. Yeah, a consumer yeah. product. Yeah, it was too early. But Traxter spent a lot of time on these platforms and ended up making a movie called Our Digital Selves. And it also was a documentary. And so the, I think the dirty little secret, if you would call it that, I would, dirty is not the right word. The secret of the popularity of Second Life and what it enabled was for a lot of handicapped and housebound people to be whole and to have a whole relationships. And some of these people are severely handicapped, uh, you know, quadriplegics, people who, you know, live their lives in their backs. Uh, And so Second Life was for them this reason to live. Gave them presence, right, right, right. Yeah, so I think this, this may have that quality in a bit more because of the characters are super engaging and, and the graphics are, are really good. Even, uh, you know, VR chat graphics with the PC are really quite uh, powerful. And, you know, going back in time, I haven't watched it yet, but I watched the trailer for it because someone pointed it out to me. There was many years ago, a documentary about Second Life. And there's a very young Philip Rosedale in the documentary, in the reel, talking about the aspirations of, and, and, and what they were doing. It might be worth both of us to go back in the Wayback Machine and give that a watch because, uh, it's interesting. It's out there. All right. So we've been running on this morning, but let's get to our guest, Jason Mark, Accenture's Senior Managing Director of Global IT, That's and good. talk about the practical applications of XR. Yeah. He's loading in. Oh, he also has uh, someone with him. Jason. Hello. Can you guys yeah. hear me? We've got you. You are live on This Week in XR. I'm Charlie Fink. This is Ted Shilowitz. What a pleasure to meet you. Thank, thank you for joining us this morning. Likewise, it's a pleasure to be here. I uh, love your podcast. Thanks for oh, having me. Wow, thank you. We are flattered. It will get you everywhere with us. <laughs> so the reason... Sorry, Ted, go ahead. We're excited to have you on, Jason. Uh, you know, we, we, we track Accenture. We know a lot of people that work at Accenture, uh, people that have, you know, had different stints at Accenture in this, in this type of role. Uh, and uh, Charlie and I are very much uh, very bullish on the use of XR technology across training and enterprise sectors. We talk about it in some way, shape, or form almost every week. Uh, as Charlie's cat is walking by for those. That to be <laughs> Most walking, people are listening on iTunes, so they don't see the cat. They don't see the cat, right. 
So tell us what you're up to, Jason, and, and what, what yeah, the, uh, the reason I asked Jason on was was because Accenture was uh, taking the lead in integrating XR into almost all the activities of the company. Uh, and they released a report about it. And um, somebody in comms reached out to me and I said, yes, we talk about Accenture all the time. Let's get Jason on this show. Excellent. Well, you know, it, this is a, a fun uh, story because, um, you know, I play a role inside of Accenture's global IT, internal IT organization uh, we call Digital Experience Lead. And uh, my team and I focus on uh, the experiences that are near um, several, I guess, 700,000 plus people, which is an extraordinary number. I've been here 26 years and that number was much smaller when I started uh, ages ago. Um, but we focus on the experiences that our people have uh, day in and day out as they work at Accenture and work with our clients. And we, several years ago, and this is um, this is very common among any organizations that have been thinking about where extended reality might go in the future, we were experimenting with this in the internal IT organization for several years. I remember going to uh, the IT uh, uh, investment board every year to talk about why I needed uh, money to uh, do some things with extended reality. And uh, for several years, I got that smirk, like, oh, I don't know why why we would need to do anything in that space. Uh, it was in that time, it was all around, like, what would the evolution of collaboration be? And we did all kinds of neat experimentation and uh, tried all kinds of devices and things. And and it wasn't really, and everyone has um, a similar sort of story over the past several years where there was a really critical business uh, need and that came along at the time that the space technology-wise had evolved quite tremendously. And our business case is Accenture hires uh, more than 100,000 people a year. We used to be able to bring people physically together when they onboarded with Accenture to learn all about what, what we're about and the types of things that we do and, and how we serve our clients. And we certainly couldn't do that the way that we had before, bringing them to physical campuses or offices and get cohorts of people together to train them. And so we said we needed to do it in a more virtual way that was a little bit different than just what we're doing you know, right now at, at Teams or Zoom or WebEx sort of call. And we had this thought about what if we brought them into as a part of, not fully as the only thing we would do, but what if as a part of onboarding, we brought them into a virtual world? And, and that's exactly what we've been doing is using Altspace as um, a mechanism for people, whether they have a headset or not. You probably have read, you know, we, we purchased uh, 60,000 headsets yeah. uh, to distribute. Uh, we'll talk about that more, I'm sure. But the, um, the mechanism that we've been using is uh, to onboard more than 150,000 people via Altspace in what we call One Accenture Park. Um, I was listening to your episode, your last episode about metaversities, and in many ways, this is Accenture's internal metaversity, one Accenture Park, uh, as a part of our uh, enterprise metaverse that we call the end floor. Um, we we um, started to change the game in terms of the way we bring people in, and people, the 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 reaction and the the feedback on it has been phenomenal. Uh, people have loved the uh, break from the 2D. Uh, interactions when they can't be physically together. And they love that something special that you you all know and your listeners certainly know when they've been into extended reality experience. There's just something different, whether it's the spatial mm -hmm. audio, whether it's the ability for people to be, you know, moving about a space together and experiencing things together in that in that virtual space. The reaction and the feedback has been excellent. 
uh, we see because there's all kinds of studies and Accenture has done some of these studies about the uh, the uh, higher retention rate of the the content that you're sharing. In the case of One Accenture Park, we bring people into a uh, an experience where they get um, assigned a virtual client, Global Coffee, and they have to go figure out how to help mm-hmm. by learning about Accenture and and what Accenture is all about. They have to go help this uh, this client with uh, with their challenges and. They go about this virtual world. They learn about these things and they have that because I've had it because I've been in this space that I knew exactly where I learned about that, uh, this, this set of technology trends that I needed to know about at that very exhibit. And I can picture that, that uh, exhibit in my mind's eye. And I was experiencing that with other people, which helps even more. So there's something really magical about what we're seeing already. And, and we think this only uh, something that will get better and better over time. So, so you brought up some really interesting points. My first curiosity is with that many people that you're moving through potentially their first VR experience, um, are you often sending out headsets to those folks uh, as an onboarding experience physically? Do you actually mail them headsets and do a little training beforehand? How do they get into it? And then the second part is, what is, would you say is the percentage of those employees? Sounds like a lot of employees you're onboarding every month, right? New employees um, that see continued value of this and ask that they can make this part of their world or part of what they're going to do with their the clients that they're assigned to the work they're assigned to uh, like how would you define that as a percentage would you define that as a like a level of success of introducing them to Accenture through a VR platform and how and how sticky is it do they ask to continue the journey yeah, I love it. So I'll start with the first question. Um, as a, in the countries where we can do the headset deployments, which is not not uh, a ton at the moment, we do, as a part of their onboarding package, send them out uh, the the headset, and it's a really cool uh, unboxing experience. And and what we've been surprised by, maybe we shouldn't be surprised, but you know, all those pictures make their way onto social media. It's super cool for the right. for the folks coming in to share that with the world. That either they get a laptop, they get a headset. And uh, they start that experience where they can and where they can't do headsets yet. They can, what the great thing about uh, a platform like Altspace is they can interact via their laptop. So they can download the app or that's part of our standard, you know, laptop seed and they can interact that way. Certainly the headset adds something special. And what we found there was, um, as I'm sure you well know and your listeners know, is the, the onboarding experience. If this is their very first time using a headset, it is more uh, uh, there's a lot more there to it than than uh, meets the eye, and has required a lot of focus on uh, change management, adoption, teams to help people with. Uh, here's the simple way to do it, and uh, that's get getting better and I better. And, if, and uh, I think if you don't know anything about video games, if you've never played a video game, uh, there are a lot of things that are not intuitive, mm. and you know we make a lot of assumptions because of who we are. Uh, Because I think setting up, and I have students who have struggled with it, and it always surprises me, but it's always people who don't have a game console, who haven't gone through similar friction or have been raised to understand these kinds of interfaces, right? Because it's not a normal interface, it's a spatial interface. And, And by the way, VR can make people sick. It just does. Uh, And so I've found in my informal experience, probably about 10% of people are never going to be comfortable in VR. That's about the same we've seen. And even those that are super comfortable can do it for a certain period of time. And then they just need to, you know, go back to normal uh, mechanisms. And that's what's great about something like Altspace is I can 
be in there for a while in a headset and then say, hey, I'm going to join via my PC and, and I can sort of uh, be fine with that. So then to your, uh, Ted, your second question around um, how sticky is it after they've gone through that experience, what we've created a program called Project Avatar, and that's our ongoing program to keep people engaged because what often will happen after they go through that or could have happened if we didn't do this this way is they get the headset, they go through the experience, they're like, okay, great, I've got a headset and now what do I do? And so we've got this constant set of, we call them missions, mm. where they get to go learn new things, take, uh, take uh, immersive learning courses, uh, play Supernatural or other games like that, and, and really create a community where they're learning through doing and having those experiences. And then what we've been just amazed by is uh, as people go through those experiences, they get more comfortable, both by trying new things, but also by repetition. They, they come up with the use cases that they want to then bring to their clients or use for other use cases around Accenture. And that's what's amazing. For, so for every one thing we bring something in someone into, they then come up with 10 ideas for what they could be doing uh, in another part of their job or with their client. And, and that's what's super cool is that the, the ideas are being fed by the community and um, and we're taking those to our clients. We're taking those to other parts of uh, of Accenture. So that's a really important part of this sort of program. And I think it's something we anticipated, but I'll just echo, you know, underscore the importance is that change management, journey management, and the constant support of your of your organization to do this is so critically important. In many ways, it's the tougher part of the job than the technology. And the technology is not an easy part. There is There's a ton of friction. And for an IT shop to support you know, as expansive the deployment as we've done, there's a lot there, but man, there's a whole lot more on the, on the journey and change and change management. It sounds like you develop in, in one of the game engines and then upload uh, the uh, <clears throat> content or the spaces you create onto Altspace, which, you know, the, for individuals, free hosting is huge. Uh, it probably matters less to you. Um, so do you have a corporate space? There's no, you know, and also are these like regular Quest headsets that you tether to your smartphone or are they managed centrally and they're the business version? Yeah, so one of the things, and this is where, you know, we're out ahead and realize that um, there's still a lot of challenges from that perspective. So they are consumer headsets. And uh, we require then our employees to, you know, be comfortable signing up. I heard on your previous episode, and that's a friction point with any of these sorts of things, especially the Quest headsets, is that people have to sign up with a, a personal account. But we we are very eagerly looking forward to the the entire space getting more enterprise friendly, and at the same time getting more frictionless for the employee to sort of have the business profile and the personal profile if they want to play games. Uh, in their personal profile and then do do work things. So, you know, I, I think there's a whole lot more to come. We've learned a whole lot. We've given great feedback to our partners in this space around how you make that easier. But right now there's so much friction, like just like you said, just getting into the headset, getting into the application, then logging into the space. There's so many different steps and there doesn't need to be that many steps. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll get to a point where it's just the one click join in the right profile and you're safe and secure and you're off to the races. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you when you talk about friction, as, as Charlie and I would think, and probably you, Jason, because you've been in it long enough as a sliding scale. If we remember our first attempts at trying to do this with early riffs and, and early vibes when you had to set up cameras and sensors, 
crack the room and connect it to a PC. That was real friction, right? Today, there are still levels of friction with a Quest, but they are extraordinarily low compared to just a couple of years ago, right? So that's a that's sort of a, a big change. The other the question I had also is, you, obviously, you're a global enterprise, right? So it sounds like you standardized on using Quest 2s uh, in the West, yes? But do you also look at devices like the Pico for parts of Asia and other areas where you, you couldn't easily use a Quest, but you could maybe use a, a Pico device or something that would had some? Yeah, we're, we're exploring, Quest has been our primary. We're exploring all kinds of other, we think this space is going to get, you know, crowded in a good way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit, you know, consumers and, and enterprises with having a lot of choice. And there's a lot of players getting into this. So we're obviously exploring devices like the Pico in our in our um, other parts of the world, but uh, right now, uh, primarily on the Quest. You know, the thing I was gonna, yeah, the the thing I was gonna mention on on the friction point. I always relate this to like early days of remember interacting with a, a flip phone uh, with WAP applications to to like check a stock in early days on a mobile device was a pain. And we did it and we were like, okay with it. And we said like, yeah, it'll get better. But just that sort of evolution and that short well, Let me tell you about getting it. onto the internet in 1990. Yeah, it's like, remember <laughs> when you had to unplug your phone and plug yeah. it into modem yeah. and wait about I mean, and, and remember how many different apps you had to fire up to actually use it, starting with your exactly. modem itself. Right. Yeah, so we that's did right. And then, and that's why we say like, yes, you're feeling friction now, but you know how great the industry is at reducing that in a very <clears throat> way quicker than you'd imagine. Yeah. So before you know it, this will just be as easy as just putting on glasses and, and you're off. So how has this affected your clients? Mm. Yeah, our clients are fascinated with this because I think like us, they had been uh, or have been uh, experimenting or thinking about where extended reality might fit in their business. And we, we refer to this whole space, the metaverse space, as a continuum. There's everything from, you know, getting engaged with virtual reality training like we're doing and onboarding like we're doing. There's uh, people are using it to create uh, digital twins of their offices so they can design and, and iteratively design or their What is Accenture one? Is it a digital twin or is it a more uh, bespoke place? Uh, bespoke right now, but we what we've done, and this is an example of where we, when we did this, we said, wait, what if we actually brought, as soon as the CAD designs were available for the offices that we're building, what if we brought those into Altspace and we could have design meetings with our distributed team in alt space walking around a real space. So we did this, uh, the first time we did this was with um, our huge office in, in New York, one Manhattan West. And we started to bring those in. We started to have collaborative uh, design sessions with our stakeholders and we would make design decisions because we were in that space together walking around like, oh, I don't like where that screen is. It should be over here. That room needs to be oriented different. And that was a game changer because the way we had done it prior was you got everyone into room, you looked over, plans and then it wasn't until you got into the space finally and then you everyone realized Ugh, that's not the right way to do it um it saved us a lot of time and effort by being able to do that so in that case ultra realistic in fact it's so realistic that when i had spent over a year in that in that space in alt space and then when i went to the physical office it had been like i'd been there forever um mm. because i knew that space so well but one accenture park is an example that's a fantastical magical fantasy land sort of space. Um, it's very Epcot-like uh, in its design. 
And uh, yeah, we can, love we go, the can we go there? Can you get us in there or can we meet you there? I would love to do that. We could definitely host you and show you around because oh, I, I, I think, okay. um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, we'll we'll have a follow up. I'm 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 learning a lot from this uh, conversation, um, you know. So thank thanks again for coming. So uh, we we've, we've just got a couple of minutes left. So um, let me ask you a question that a lot of our listeners probably are wondering, especially uh, the students who um, I assign uh, to listen to this podcast. Um, what was your journey to your current? Sounds like you have one of the coolest jobs at Accenture. So what was your journey? Job. How long have you been there? And um, where do you think we're going with this? So, uh, you yeah. know, for someone who's at, you know, who's 30, where are they going to be when they're my age? Yeah, I love it. Um, so I, uh, started right out of school. I was a marketing major and, um, I got right into, I was a technical oriented, uh, business major. I always, uh, so you like that programming. I did. I, and, um, you know, programming, I was early days of web development. So I just, I had a, a passion for doing that. And I started to, you know, get into like, Hey, maybe there's a technical path for me in business. And then I heard about this company at the time, Anderson Consulting. And that was, um, you know, that was years ago, 1996. And and I started and I was developing platforms for uh, large, in, the, in my case, uh, utility clients. I did that for years and years and years and progressed through my career. And I was always a super, you know, creative, more of a creative mind that was, um, that was technical. And um, I Very had rare. the pleasure of, yeah, exactly. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, a, a leader that, uh, thought that there may be an opportunity for us changing the game in the way that we support our collaboration and video capabilities inside of Accenture. I always had a passion for movie making and podcasts and podcast development and things like that. And he said, I think I've got a role for you inside of IT. And five or six years later, um, I've now evolved into playing this role where uh, we're driving next generation experiences and helping uh, to provide and measure great experiences for the the things that our people do every day. As a part of that, extended reality was in that, and it just has so happens that it's gotten this big. So I, I feel very fortunate mm -hmm. to be at that at that crossroads of sort of the creative side and the experience side with uh, with technology and playing a role inside of IT. It's been a phenomenal uh, career, and I've loved it. It's a it's a great role. Charlie, with the with the time we have left, is, was uh, Jason? Would you have the ability to mention one of your client journeys that is public that you can talk about that started from your belief in this mode modality of using VR for training and deliverables into something that moved outside. You talked a lot about the employee use case, uh, but clearly you're a client driven organization, right? So do you have like one call out that you can, so, so the listeners can go, oh, I get it. Like this is an interesting corporate use case that I can see applying to my corporation or, or how I would do this. Yeah, it, and unfortunately, I uh, because they're all underway right now. There's several that are taking the same formula uh -huh. that we've been doing with onboarding, and we're working with major global brands on this very thing. Um, I can't unfortunately mention the names. Okay, but, we'll uh, have you back. When that, you can. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, Jason, so let me let let's wrap up with the last question. Where sure? Where do you think 10, 20, 30 years will be? Wow. That's a that's a great question. I mean, certainly on this because thirty topic, years ago Google hadn't even been invented, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now I I think um, you know sort of from the position that I play, uh, we've seen an evolution in IT where it's gone from big central, you know, that the IT team needed to do everything 
to this evolution towards citizen development. And that was a very sort of technically oriented thing. And I think is this evolution where I think through the metaverse, we're now sort of saying, hey, the creatives out there, the game designer types, the artists now can have a bigger role to play about creating the venues by which and, and you know where business happens. And so what's cool about that is citizen development will uh, start to go into this same sort of uh, metaverse building space as well, which means, you know, it's, it's, and I think Meta has shown some really cool stuff about how easy it will be to create spaces, virtual spaces, just by virtue of, you know, talking an idea or typing an idea and all of a sudden the world gets created. Right now you need really sophisticated uh, platforms and developers to do that. And I think we get to a place where spinning up a virtual world where you can, you know, conduct business with uh, your colleagues internally or, you know, sell and, and uh, uh, you know, do business with, with uh, your customers externally will be something that citizen developers uh, can do in an organization. And I, and I think that evolution away to a more distributed model where, you know, keeping up with the trends in the market uh, that an IT shop traditionally needed to do now go in the hands of the business runners and those that are on the, that are on the front lines. I, you know, as an IT guy, I'm not threatened by that. I'm encouraged and optimistic about that world. I think that's where we need to go just to be more agile. And with this uh, metaverse extended reality space, I think that's where the creatives really get to, you know, get engaged and have mm. some fun. Jason, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Ted, great to see you. As always, good conversation this morning. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me.